0: Hey everybody, it's Randy Holsey here with Backstage Pass Radio, and the show today is going to be jam-packed with some great stuff. My guest today hell's from Louisiana, but now resides in the Los Angeles area. He is an A-list music producer and a multi-instrumentalist, and has put his talents to good use over the years with some of the biggest names in the business. We're going to pick the brain of the one and only Adam Hamilton when we return.
1: This is Backstage Pass Radio, the podcast that's designed for the music junkie with a thirst for musical knowledge. Hi, this is Adam Gordon, and I want to thank you all for joining us today. Make sure you like, subscribe, and turn alerts on for this and all upcoming podcasts. And now, here's your host of Backstage Pass Radio, Randy Halsey.
0: Adam, welcome to the show. How are you?
2: Good, man. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, Good to see you, and glad we were finally able to reconnect. And again, thanks for jumping on.
2: Yeah, man. Thanks for uh, being understanding. Sometimes, you know, those family things come up.
0: (laughs) I know those all too well, like uh, life strikes sometimes.
2: Oh, yeah. Life keeps happening no matter what.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so I know that you and I have a mutual friend in Joey C. Jones. Yeah. And I guess I've known Joey since the, uh, the probably the late 80s sometimes, but have certainly become closer f- friends with Joey over the years. When did you guys originally meet?
2: I learned of Joey when I met CeCe from Poison back in the 90s. And he had already met CeCe and, and uh, become friends with him. And whenever Poison would come through town, they'd come out and see Joey play. And so uh, I went to a club to see Joey's band play with CC and thought they were fantastic. And then when I got a call from CC a year later saying he was going to start a band and he wanted me to be his drummer, he said, Joey's going to be the singer. So I knew who he was right away. Okay. And um, I actually met him for the first time when we both went out there right after the holidays. I think it was 92, maybe with CC to start that project. That's when I met him.
0: So Joey actually knew CC a little bit before you did then, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay.
2: He knew him before and I think he knew his wife at the time Dina was friends with Bobby Dahl's wife Michelle. So they had other relationships within that band as well.
0: So I got yeah,
2: you. He knew that camp. Gotcha. I did. Yeah.
0: So you originally come out of a small city in Louisiana called Shreveport, right? I do. And I guess Shreveport, it's probably not one of the more, the bigger cities, I guess, in Louisiana, but there's been, you know, there's been a lot of music legends that have, have actually come out of Shreveport. I, I think a couple of that come to mind are like Ricky Nelson was from Shreveport. And then, um, I don't know
2: about that, but I know, uh, you know, obviously my buddy Kenny Wayne Shepherd, Yes. There, yep. And uh, James Burton, the famous yep. guitar player from Elvis. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the famous bass player for the wrecking crew. Uh, and he played with everybody, Joe Osborne, yep. Joe Osborne was from there. He just passed away not long ago. Shreveport's where the Louisiana Hayride started and, and was, and started Elvis's career. I mean, it's Shreveport has a, a incredible rich, uh, history of music. Yeah. There's something in the water down.
0: There. <laughs> they, they, they do it right. At the right? End of the week. Yeah. yeah.
2: It was an amazing magic place to grow up being a musician
0: well i think that i think brooks and dunn come to mind from a country perspective they're from there and it was amazing i played a show in nashville back in october of last year god i suck with dates but um it was i think it was october of last year and i went to the country music hall of fame for the first time and i was i was really amazed at how much stuff they had in there for brooks and dunn just yeah. tons of Brooks and Dunn stuff in the Country Music yes. Hall of Fame.
2: Yeah, Kix is a real nice guy. He kind of helped mentor me early. We have a family friend. He was married to a friend of our family's, and he was real nice about talking to me on the phone and kind of giving me some career advice and telling me that, uh, you know, you might want to check out Nashville. You might want to check out Los Angeles and do what you want to do. You know, either place might be might be cool. And he was real helpful and yeah. really nice and willing to to uh talk to me and give me some give me some you know when you do like when people do like that for you and you're a kid and you're dreaming about you know becoming a, a famous musician and playing music you know you never forget that that's the it's absolutely a magical phone call you know yes. you to somebody like that you never forget it it just it's it's like wow i agree I living in this is so cool and when people take the time to do that you just never forget
0: absolutely not absolutely not because they don't have to do those things for you
2: you know it would seem like it's so easy but you just don't know what a huge mark you can make on people's life you know Absolutely. By, by by taking the time to do that you know
0: i agree i'm a, a i guess jog your memory a little bit but how long were you in shreveport as a kid and as a kid there what kept you busy what kind of kid were you kind of grow up? Were you a sports kid? Were you always a music kid? I mean, what was going on with Adam back
2: then? Everything, you know, I was growing up. I mean, being in Treeport, everybody's into sports. So, you know, we all played sports growing up and rode our BMX bikes and, you know, went swimming at the lake and, and skiing and boating and fishing and did all that stuff. But then once I discovered music, I I became a one-track mind. I that was it. That's huh? with it, you know. Yeah. I mean, obviously, when you get in your teens, then you start discovering girls, and then it's girls in music. <laughs> Got
0: to get the priorities straight, yeah, right? right.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I pretty much all but flunked out of school because I would be playing gigs in high school, you know, and during the week and writing set lists out during the class and figuring out what we're going to do about running lights and sound for the show. You know, I was just consumed with music. I was ready to go. I tried to drop out a few times. My mom and dad would <laughs> let me, they said, stick it out. You got to more years, then you can do what you want to do. Man. You were
0: doing all the things you shouldn't be doing in school, right? <laughs>
2: yeah, I, was just, I was just pumping at the bit to get going. Yeah. I was ready.
0: That makes sense. Well, I, I spent some time in Louisiana. I went to school in Lafayette. It, it, it was then USL. And that's where I went to college. Of course, they've changed names since then. And then my wife is from Harahan, which is, you know, in the New Orleans area. So yep. I've had yep. quite a few um, Cajuns on the show, you being one of them. I had Randy Jackson and Guy Gelso from the band Zebra on the show. And uh, yeah, yeah, Lillian Axe. All the
2: time. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love Stevie. Stevie's. My rock and roll brother. Loved yeah,
0: him. yeah. We'd and then go
2: see him. And he was another guy that was just so nice to us when we were younger musicians. And yep. then we would started playing shows, you know, and go see him. And, and always sweetest guy you, you meet.
0: Yeah. He was a super guy. And then uh, just recently, I also had a, a nice long chat with Tony Hazelden from Louisiana's LaRue, who was on the oh, yeah. on the show as well. Huh. You know, a, a, an amazing songwriter out of Nashville that wrote for some of the biggest names out there. But so you, you left Shreveport and you headed west to, I think it was Austin. And that's where you ran into CeCe was in Austin, correct?
2: That was, man. It was it was one of those cases of being in the right place at the right time. And you, you dream about that moment. You know, like I used to lay in bed going, you know, I just need to get a break. I just need my big break. And everybody says that in quotations. And and I, I, that was my moment. You know, I, I since then have realized that, you know, success is, is a, a series of breaks that you're blessed with along the way. But that was the one that opened the door that got me into the, you know, quote, unquote, the big leagues, you know, was meeting him that night in Austin, Texas, down on 6th Street. Yeah.
0: I guess it was the music that was it, is what took you to Austin in the first place, correct? Uh, or was there something else that that drew you there?
2: Nope, nothing more. It was just Austin was a great music town and it was still kind of a small town back then. It was before it, it had blown up it before South by Southwest and all that stuff. And I just wasn't really ready to move out to Los Angeles or New York or someplace like that because I didn't know anybody out there, and it was just way too overwhelming. So I just kind of touched, kind of slowly moved my way out west, you know. Yeah. To uh, lived in Dallas for for a while, then I lived in San Antonio and Austin, and I just kind of gradually made my way out there. And then finally, when I met Cece, he just kind of scooped me up and brought me out, you know. Yeah.
0: You kind of went from the small city and, and kind of inched your way to the bigger cities until you yeah. weaned yourself out, uh, I guess, LA, I guess is the oh, yeah, the way you'd say it, right?
2: You know, I mean, it, it's, it's a, it's a culture shock, no matter how you look at it. You know, I mean, I come from a place where, you know, there's not even a quarter of a million people in Shreveport. The nearest large city is, you know, a million people is Dallas, which is three hours away. So you could always go over to Dallas and go to the big city if you wanted to, but Shreveport's a pretty small place.
0: Yeah. It's, is there still ties to Louisiana for you, like family wise? Yeah, my a lot of family mom there.
2: Mom's still there. Oh, okay. My mother and, and uh, sister in law and their kids. So I I haven't been back in a long time, and it and it hurts my heart. But hopefully, once the, now things are kind of calming down with the whole COVID things, we'll yeah. be able to start you know feeling a little more comfortable with traveling and and uh, not really worried about so much of that. But it that's really the only reason I haven't been back in a while. To yeah, honestly,
0: it's been a mess. For sure. Yeah. Now, when I think it was, I don't have all of my CC facts probably straight, but I think it was Poison Split and then CC formed the band. Was it called CC DeVille's Experience or was it? Yeah, the CC DeVille Experience. Experience, okay.
2: It was kind of a knockoff of the Jimi Hendrix Experience. I'm sorry, CC DeVille Experiment. It was a knockoff of the Jimi Hendrix experience. Well, he said, Well, this was just my experiment. So
0: okay. We call
2: the CC Deville experiment. Wasn't really our, our first choice of names, but it was his band. So he's going <laughs> to do whatever you want, right? Yeah. I, just, I was just like, Just call it Deville. That'd be so cool. Yeah. You know, it would look great. It sounds great. You know, I don't know. I guess he wanted to try things his own way.
0: And I guess I really never. I never really thought too much about his name until, until recently when I started digging a little bit. And I guess he named himself after uh, C.C. is what a Cadillac Coupe DeVille, right, is where uh, the name came from. Part
2: of it, I think part of it also was he's such a smart guy and so well read Was Cecil B. DeMille, the film director, uh, you know, uh-huh. the old Hollywood director. Mm-hmm. And so he took that C.B. DeMille and changed it to C.C. DeVille. That's cool. I think other people kind of adopted the Cadillac part of it. Okay. It like a nice little side thing.
0: You can't believe everything you read on the internet, but yeah, that's what I was
2: yeah. reading. That's, I mean, it makes perfect sense. I was
0: going to say, well, if it was on the internet, it must be true, right? Yeah, Something like yeah, that. Yeah. That's the old adage. But now you were playing drums for, yep. for that project, right? Joey was singing. Yeah. You were on drums. Who was playing bass in the bass
2: player was Chris Torok. Um, okay. He was from a band called liquor Sweet. And he was ready out there in LA. Uh, he's originally from Cleveland. And so they pretty much had the band. I guess I was kind of the last piece that fell into place. Okay. Yeah, I was the, at that time, I was full on drums. That was my main instrument. That was gotcha. My first, first instrument. So,
0: yeah. A little of that conversation came out with, with Joey in my interview with him. And he said at the time that he was living out and in LA with, with CC and we won't go into stories about that, but you know, with Sam Kennison running around out there in the oh, house yeah. and <laughs> I'm sure, you know, all about that. Like we won't go down that rabbit hole, but I'm sure that you've got some stories in your I've
2: mind. I've had those nights when <laughs> Sam and his, and his wife came up and hung out and didn't, didn't go home, you know, for days. And it yeah. was, it was surreal. It was like a, a strange Fellini film every night with somebody different coming up. And wow. It was, strange, a strange place to live for sure.
0: I bet. And if the wall, if the walls could talk, huh?
2: Yeah, it was exciting and it was amazing and was such a rock and roll fantasy. But at the same time, after three months of it, you know, the same thing every day and we got our pictures in every magazine and we were on all sorts of TV shows, but we couldn't really get a record deal going and we couldn't get a whole hour's worth of songs. And there was just too much partying going on. Yeah. Three months. I started to feel like, kind of topsy-turvy I was like I don't even see the daylight anymore it doesn't seem like anything's really going gonna happen with this thing and I remember watching on the tv one afternoon when rainy Hollywood afternoon and watching Nirvana on the tv and I had this epiphany and I was like wait a minute I think that we're a little too late for all this I think yeah. that without the knowing what it was grunge was the coming grunge, in, yeah, and we were just we missed the boat you know
0: I mean, it seemed like you were aligned with some big names out there that I guess yeah, that could have been movers and shakers for the whole thing. Did it just yeah. get partied, partied down the tubes or was it something else that you missed the boat? I mean, of course, the grunge thing, but was it something well, else time, as well? You
1: know,
2: timing is everything, man. And it yeah. goes in cycles. And, and I remember Janie Lane telling a story one time. He said, you know, I remember going in my record company and when I walked into the uh, front desk, warrant was the whole wall giant warrant poster and then he two years later after a couple of records and grunge was coming in he walked into a meeting his record company and the whole wall was allison chains and he's like wow things have changed times have changed and, and that's what happened man we just we caught the tail end of it and timing is everything you
0: know? and it literally seemed well it probably didn't literally seem it probably did it seemed it, it just seemed like it happened overnight like the glam, the hair metal was gone, yeah. and, and here we are with Pearl Jam, Nirvana, yeah. and, and the likes.
2: Yep. It was yeah, an interesting it really time. Did. It really did. It, it was definitely one of those scenes that definitely seemed to change overnight. It was strange.
0: Yeah. Well, how long did the whole C.C. DeVille experiment last? It wasn't very long, was it?
2: No. I mean, we were probably living with him and trying to put the band together for about three months, and that was it. That was all wow. she wrote. Gosh. Joey went back. I went back. And I think Chris stayed in Burbank because he was living with his girlfriend out there. But um, it was just kind of over with like that.
0: Yeah. Around this time, I know you were playing drums with him, but you were uh, you were a a guitarist at this time, too. Right. Or did the guitar come later for you? You know, I mentioned multi-instrumentalist.
2: Well, I always played guitar and bass as well as drums, just not quite as well. And I was just pretty much had all my eggs in one basket focusing on drums uh, because that was really all I ever knew. But later on, you know, when the LA guns gig came up, it was for the bass gig. And when muddy called me to see if I wanted, I was interested in doing it. I had actually just been playing in a punk band for fun with some buddies of mine playing bass. And I was having so much fun doing it. And I'm like, I'm getting, I'm getting all right. I think I could do this. And feel feel confident about joining another band a real band to do it and so that was when i joined la guns the first time was okay. i just was like i needed a break from yeah. drums i needed a, something to get me excited about music again mm-hmm. and playing drums is a lot of work man it's, <laughs>
0: it's physical an
2: right uh, drums expensive uh, instrument to play you know you're the last one finished packing up and setting up and I just kind of got tired of it all. I was like, it's, it's too many parts and pieces and I'm right. banged up. Yeah. I need to do some, I need to jump around and have a little fun for a little while.
0: Absolutely.
2: And that's exactly what I did.
0: Get a workout a different way versus banging on the kit. Right. Yeah. Even, even Guy Gelso said that in his interview, he's like, uh, with all due respect, and I love Randy and, and Felix like my brothers in Zebra, but those guys don't work near as hard as I do behind that kit. Oh. Oh. <laughs> and he said, and I'm 71 years old now, you know, and that's a, yeah. that's a hell of a workout that I get behind yeah, that thing man. every night.
2: Poor drummers, man. They just come off stage and they're just soaking wet.
0: Yeah. But you don't get, but but the drummers don't get paid a little bit more for having to work a little bit harder, do they? <laughs> you get the same pay. I think they should, right?
2: for no. a perfect world, they certainly should.
0: Absolutely. Now, which instrument came first for you? Was it the drums? Was the first instrument, and then yep. the then the guitar came around after that? Is that kind of yep. the chain? Okay,
2: uh-huh. it was drums first when I was three or four, and I played that until my little brother got a guitar for Christmas, and I just kind of took, you know would pick it up and play around and make some noise on it. And, and then I started to love the guitar. So I just kind of gravitated toward that, but I never left the drums. I just kind of added another art, you know, added another instrument in. And that way I could, you know, I could record stuff, yeah. and could do it all myself. I didn't need somebody else. You yeah.
0: Know? Now, if you kind of rated yourself on a scale of one to ten, ten being the best on that scale, would you say that you're a better drummer technically oh, yeah. than you are? Yeah. than anything else that you play?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think that as a drummer, I'm, I'm more of a natural, you know, as a guitar player. I mean, I can't play leads to save my life, but I, I kind of focused on what I, what I could do well was play rhythm. And that's yeah. what I, I just kind of zeroed in on. And I love to do. And I, and I kind of try to hone those chops, you know, like bass and rhythm guitar, but I'm, I'm no, I, I couldn't, you know, joke about even playing leads. I'm way. with
0: you. I'm with you on drums,
2: that. Yeah. Drums is number one.
0: For yeah. Sure. Well, you would think that the rhythm guitarist, you know, having the drumming background, you know, you've got the timing down. So you you would probably make a damn good (laughs) rhythm guitarist if nothing else, right?
2: It's the same clock at work.
0: Absolutely. The the internal tick. Well, I think my first exposure to you uh, was when you were drumming for a band called Joey C. Jones and the Glory Hounds. And I think yeah. that the, the video was wait all night is the, yeah. the one that I saw you guys in from a chronological perspective. Did the glory hounds come after CC? It was after CC's band that they came yeah. along, right? What
2: happened was once the CC thing kind of splintered, Joey and I stayed in touch and Chris and Joey and I, well, the three of us stayed in touch and we kind of regrouped. I went home to Louisiana. Joey went home to see his family uh, Chris stayed out here in Burbank and we just said hey listen this is ridiculous we had a, we had something good going let's try to put something together you know and Joey was the first one that said you know let's grab a guitar player let's start so we actually started working on a project even before we had a guitar player and we had a record deal and we're in the studio and we had Pete Kamita who was actually in Cheap Trick he was going to come down and play some guitar on the record before we actually had that get the glory hounds guitar player but then it turned out as we were literally laying down tape for our first song i just had this moment where i was thinking about my buddy craig bradford who i played with and was a friend forever craig was already in an amazing band called nobody's children but i knew that if we were going to try to get him out of that band it was going to take a lot of persuasion because those guys were amazing and they were brothers and they built sure. this great thing regionally and they were just they were amazing but i also knew craig had been out to guitar institute he'd been out to la before me he knew the ropes out here and i knew he had aspirations to to make music you know and to make records and so i got on that phone and i said hey man what are you doing and he said oh we just." It's just played some shows somewhere down in South Louisiana, Mississippi, and I said, "You want to come out and make a record?" And he just kind of laughed, and he's uh-huh. like, "You mean you want me to quit my band and come out there?" I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> kind of." Like, they're gonna hate me, I know. And he's like, "Yeah, they're probably gonna hate me too." And I'm like, "He's like, all right, let's do it." And you wow. know, he had had that phone call where he had to talk to his family, and sure. but he was literally on a plane coming out and cutting tracks that day, and that was that was a guitar player. Wow. It literally happened that that organically. We just were trying to figure out who to get who to get who to get and i just was like my buddy who we played in our high school band talent show we won all these talent shows and we just were so great craig was amazing because back then it was when steve i was in uh, david lee ross band and craig would do all that he'd spin his guitar around and flip his guitar and he could do all those tricks and he was just a showman and i'm like i know who i know who we should get and so uh he came out and joined the band, and. Joey hadn't even met him. It literally just like came out and that was it. Yeah. Yeah. And the rest was history.
0: I think there was a, a song. I think it was called Broadway. I think yeah. CC did CC write Broadway and did the no, glory hounds. Were you on that recording or was that some, yeah. a different time?
2: Mm-mm, that was the glory hounds album, but that song originated from CC and Joey that was one that they had written even before I came into the picture and they played that for me. And I was like, Oh man, this is amazing. And I guess, you know, it just worked out where, you know, Joey said, Hey, I want to put this on the record and I talked to him and he's okay with it. And we're going to put it on there. So we got to record it. But yeah, that was prior to me. That was Joey and CC.
0: Okay. Now the video that I saw you guys in the glory hounds where you did wait all night, Yep. That was written by Rick Nielsen of Cheap Trick. Was that a Rick Nielsen song originally, or how did that one come about?
2: That was actually when Joey had a chance to work with Rick Nielsen and Robin Zander from Cheap Trick, and they were trying to produce him and get him a record deal. And, you know, they believed in Joey and wanted to try to help him. So when they were working with him, they presented a song to him, and it was one that Robin, uh, Rick Nielsen had written with Fee Waybill from The Tubes, and it was called Wait All Night. And they had done a recording of it, and it was incredible. And so Joey brought that into us and said, hey, I got our first single. It'll be like a Cheap Trick slash Tube song. And he played me the demo of it, and I was like, it's one of the best songs I've ever heard. Wow. Um, and the, the problem was, was the demos that he did with, with the Cheap Trick guys, they were so good that I just was like, We've got to beat this demo, and the problem with having a great demo is you you've got demoitis. It's like if you don't beat that demo, you're always going to feel like you lost. Sure, you know? and I just don't feel like you know as great a, a version of of that as we did. There was something magic about you know cheap you know when you've got cheap trick guys playing on, on on the demo, you pretty much got Joey C Jones and Cheap Trick, and it was it was magic. But I think we did a great version of it. I love our version of it, but that. The version that he played me that he had with the Cheap Trick guys, I still to this day there's something so magic about it. A lot of the songs that they had from that era we did on the Glory House record. Mm-hmm. So we we had to write some, but we also had some that we just were like, well, these are obviously going to go on here. Correct. You know, only song we didn't put on the record that I felt I felt like I had wished had made it was Summer Song because I felt like Summer Song was all Joey's song. Yeah. Uh, he didn't have any. To my knowledge there were any co-writers and i felt like that was just the cherry that was the diamond in the in the middle you know that when yeah. was the was the, if there was going to be a song that could break an artist the, the radio record, yeah that could and you know it it was what it was and um didn't end up making it on the record because we thought well we'll save it for the next record but you know i've learned in my in my you know 20 plus years in this business you never save it for the next record because you don't know if you're ever going to get a next record
0: absolutely so, that song kind of stems way back from the sweet savage days with Joey. Doesn't right. Yeah. yeah.
2: That's, that's an old, old song. Yeah. It just goes to show you like a timeless classic song transcends the ages. You know, Absol- it'll all, you're right. It'll all, it'll live on, you know, forever. You're right. Great
0: song. And, you know, you just mentioned something a minute ago that kind of solidified or drove the nail and what, you know, whatever, whatever analogy you want to use. But when, when I started backstage pass radio, I was always the trivia buff. I always loved the liner notes and records. I loved to know who was playing on the records, you know, okay. things like that. And when you said, I had no idea that Fee Waybill had a hand in writing that song. I just had yeah. Fee on my show two weeks ago. The, the episode oh, no. hasn't dropped, but I spent an hour and a half talking to Fee, and I had no idea that there was an association there.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure what his contribution to the song was, but from what I understood, it was uh, Neil Rick Nielsen wrote the music and Fee wrote the lyrics to that. That's what I had heard. Um, it, that's what I understood it to be. Yeah.
0: Well, and I guess uh, you know they had a the Tubes had a couple of videos on MTV that were popular back in the day, but I've listened to a lot of Fee's uh, solo stuff, and and I guess I never really understood how good of a singer and a songwriter he was, you know, yeah. and maybe, maybe I was just, my brain was somewhere else back in the eighties, but a yeah. uh, very, I mean, even in his older, not older age, but I mean, you know, he's not 23 years old anymore. He's yeah. still, his voice is still very, very powerful oh, and sounds yeah. amazing.
2: Yeah. He's incredible, man. All the way around.
0: Yep. When did the whole producing thing get started for you? So you, you go from, from musician and then you get into the whole producing thing. How did that transition happen? And when did that kind of start happening? How long ago did that that
2: start? That kind of started happening when I was a kid, because when I was young, I would literally take two cassette decks and I would take a little, a Radio Shack mixer and play them together. And then I would record the drums and then I would, bounce it down and play the bass to it and i would bounce it back and forth and i would make these little multi-track recordings and so i was always doing studio recording even before i had a studio so then i got a little four track later when i got a little older and then with that, that just blew my mind. Cause then I'm like, I would invite all my friends bands over and I'm like, come on, I want to record you. Yeah. So I would do their demo tapes. So it really just kind of started with, I loved recording music. I love recording other people doing music. I love being able to help other people in their artistic vision. I mm-hmm. love seeing people get excited and get chills when they listen back to something they did. And it sounds great. I love the nuts and bolts of it all. I love the, the, you know, I hate math and science, but I love the, I'm a nerd about all of the what makes it all work. It's yep. all it's supernatural magic and it's a lot of uh, really cool technology. And I just love all of that. And so I guess I just kind of just slowly it was just something that was just always there. And I knew that I enjoyed doing it. And at some point I knew there was kind of three pieces of the puzzle to me. There was being a musician, you know, in a band and writing and recording and doing all that. The second one was producing and recording bands. I love to do both of those, but I also always would, would turn the TV down when I'd be playing guitar and I would actually write music that I would say, this is for that scene that's going on. So I would score (laughs) music that I think would be good for what was on TV. I would just kind of practice doing it. So I always knew I wanted to do that as well. And so I just kind of put that out there, I guess. And, you know, kind of God showed me a way to kind of do all three of those every day of my life now. So that's kind of what I do. It's kind of, a, it's like a, I wear three hats, you Yeah. Know, except right. I don't tour really anymore uh, or in the band, but I, you know, it's mainly those two these days.
0: It almost seems like a natural transition in between all yeah. three, right? You know, yeah. uh, one, one kind of morphs into the other one very, yeah. very seamlessly. <laughs>
2: Yeah, absolutely. And there's some days where, I, where I have to work on this project, which is a, you know, I'm doing a record with that, that singer actress and Margaret right now. And I'm, yep. we're doing her vocals over here and I'll have to work with her for the afternoon. And the next day I might wake up and I have to do some music for ESPN. some like real, you, you know, know seven string, high energy, corn sounding rock, you know? Yeah. So it, it just really, you just really never know in a day what it's going to be. And that's, what's exciting about it is I get to kind of Go, okay, that's that's the hat we're putting on today. Cool. Let's
0: Absolutely, it, you know? that is really cool. And now you, you. And
2: it's challenging.
0: Yeah, I could imagine. And you spoke a little earlier about a mentor, but yeah. I, I but I think there was also possibly a mentor for producing too. What, does oh, yeah. Don West? Does that name come to mind?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I've had a lot of a lot of people that have been really, really kind and, and mentor me along. You know, Kix Brooks was really sweet for talking to me and giving me some great career advice. I met uh, Brian Setzer when I first came out to L.A., and he was really great. He gave me his number and let me call him all the time. And I would talk to, to him about everything from, you know, publishing to, you know, writing, recording, everything. Just so nice, so nice and so helpful and, and so great, so full of grace. And I got to make a couple of records with with Andy Johns, who recorded, you know, Led Zeppelin and The Stones. Sure. And he recorded some of the L.A. Guns records I got to make with the guys. And, you know, he was another one that he just would he was so willing to to teach me everything. And I would just be like, how did you do this on this record? Tell me how this what is this and he had a really great sense of recall and he would just tell me exactly what he, how he remembered it and, and you know, how to apply that today. Yeah. And, and it was also interesting too, because he was learning pro tools. We were on that pro tools curve where it had just came on the scene and he was an old school producer guy. And so I was kind of watching him be a student t- too, learning from the engineer, learning how to run pro tools. So it was an interesting time learning from him and also watching him learn as as well. But, I made a a record. I got to go in, in the studio and assist on a record that Poison was making. It was a cover record years ago. And Don was, was the producer. Okay, And he was fantastic, man. He was the same way. He saw that that's what I wanted to do. And that's what I loved. And, and, you know, he would let me on breaks. He'd go take me in a studio down the hallway and let me play him stuff. We'd put him on the big speakers and he would give me critiques. And he was so nice. He, He actually called up. I told him I wanted to to try to get a producer manager, and he hooked me up with somebody and got me a meeting and got me a producer manager. He was so nice and so helpful, man. Didn't have to do any of that, but so kind.
0: That's an interesting story. But would you say that Pro Tools is probably the de facto tool in for? the big productions. I mean, I know different people like home studio kind of thing. They use a little bit of everything, but is Pro Tools still kind of the standard for,
2: okay. You know, a lot of, there's a lot of people who look, you know, it's not really the the end all be all now. Now there's a lot of different options, which is great. Um, Thank goodness, because I hate when people have a monopoly on anything. Sure. But yeah, I mean that's what I use, Pro Tools. A lot of people use logic, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people use Pro Tools, but I never go on a in a big record and, and see them using anything but Pro Tools to, okay. my, to my to my you know yeah. to my eyes these days. So.
0: well I think you know you talked we were talking about producing. there's a pretty extensive list of artists that you've I guess produced and mixed for. I was gonna maybe name a couple of the, the people that you might've worked with. And if there were any accolades that kind of followed the work, I, I mean, I'd love the listeners to hear about that too. And I know there's probably accolades because I see the billboard records on your, on your wall. Right. So George Lynch, did, what did you do with George and, and how were you guys matched up there?
2: George, I got pr- uh, placed with George to do a record for him and it was going to be an instrumental record and it was going to be like an orchestral instrumental record It was going to be rock with like orchestra and and him doing solos and everything and so it was just one of those gigs where you know I, I got to to do all the basic tracks and then he came in and put the leads down on it and we did it all here it was funny because you know as studios get you know, as time goes on and things get smaller, you know, you kind of start, I've kind of started getting rid of some gear. I'm like, well, I don't need 20 amps anymore. I kind of, you know, I use my Marshall, I use my fender and Mm -hmm. I use my fractal for, for, uh, digital stuff. I really don't need anything else. And I've kind of gotten rid of some of that, but George was still kind of in that old school where he literally pulled up with a truck and, and, Literally unloaded amps and crates for like half an hour, <laughs> and I'm like, dude, this is insane. This is like the '80s. This
0: is, 80s. <laughs> this is prehistoric, dude. <laughs>
2: yeah, it was like the old days. We just tested all these amps and all these cabinets and all these things, and then literally the whole record. We used one head. No one way. Like that was it. And and you know, I could have saved him all that time and energy and just said, just trust me. I have what I, You don't need to bring anything. But you know, when you don't when you don't know somebody, it's hard to trust them. You know. <laughs> So, of, of course. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, and I, and I also want to try and indulge people's musical ideas, you know.
0: Would you say that, I mean, because I think you're the perfect person to ask this question of, the fractals in these, you know, I, I mean, I've got a pedal, pedal board sitting over there, the Line 6 pod. Do you feel, in your opinion, do those patches, do they really sound like, what they're saying that they sound like, like, I don't, I don't know it like that. Like you would, right. You know, like you said, George unloads, you know, 20 amps off the truck. Can you really get the same sound out of the fractal that you could get out of those? Or is it really a big difference?
2: it's It's a complicated thing, but I will say this up until now. No, I, my ears have never said that sounds like a real i i can't tell that that's you, you you haven't fooled me yet okay until now and it wasn't until two amps that did it the the amp sims my buddy got a kemper and he played me that and i'm like absolutely i cannot tell if that's a fender you know combo or not but the fractal i think does the heavy stuff better i can do a couple of really heavy fractal tracks And then I could do a couple of heavy, you know, Marshall JCM 2000 tracks Mm -hmm. and then blindfold myself and I can't even tell them. So they finally, now they've gotten it to where you still can't get the science behind like a roaring cabinet pushing air through a microphone. Okay. But they've gotten it so close now that I think so many people use them and they're just so convenient. You know, when I'm composing, I just don't have time to miking up different amps and different sounds and doing this and running all around. I need to be able to like hit a patch and have it sound just like that amp and and be able to, you know, compose on the fly really quick. And and I got one of those fractal FM3s and it changed my life. Yeah, I mean, I have literally have not plugged in a wall of vintage amps in in over a year. Wow. I'm, I'm finally on board with it and sold. Yeah.
0: I have a buddy that I interviewed, they, they're in an Aussie tribute band here in Houston, and he's a fractal artist and swears by that thing. But I have to also believe that, I, you know, the, the producer, of course, is going to be anal about the sound as well as the musician. But when you put that music in the hands of the consumer, out of a hundred people they don't hear what you hear, right? They're not saying, no, wait, that sounds like a fractal to me and not the, you know, not the real amp, right? So, so you're, because it's so close and it's almost so precise that, I mean, just the the simplicity of not having to lug all that gear and you can have a nice studio like you and I both have, you know, we can see each other's studios. You don't have to have this big, you know, 7,000 square foot studio to do everything that you need to do anymore.
1: No, I mean,
2: I do my drums. Literally, I have my drums set up and mic'd up right there. And I I literally can grab a cup of coffee, come in and turn on the lights. And in 10 minutes, I can be rolling tape any time of day. And I don't have to go into Capitol Records or or, G or, you know, or go to somebody's studio who has a rental kit. Absolutely. I can do it in my pajamas right now and do all the work I need to do and do sessions for people all around the world and turn in the record. You know, it's, it's, it's good and bad. I miss the camaraderie and the magic of making records with everybody, but nobody has that, that, uh, the budgets to do that anymore and who's got the time you know to, to spend three months in a record now
0: well that and who who would know something like covid would hit that would shut the whole freaking world down and thank goodness yeah. you're able to do what you do in the confines of your own home oh. uh you know like yeah. you you could still in other words is it the same no but you can still work and you can still somehow make some kind of a living still working during a pandemic like this.
2: Yeah. Amen. I mean, I literally barely slowed down a bit. You know, the first thing that that, that happened when the pandemic hit was everybody kind of locked down. I literally ordered a couple, ordered a couple of books off Amazon. I hadn't read and I just chilled out and breathed for a little bit for a couple of weeks. And then Tracy Guns called me up and he said, Hey, I want to, I want to start doing a record and I'm in Denmark, but Phil's going to be in Vegas. Johnny and the guys are in L.A. You're I'm like 20 minutes outside of L.A. I'm literally in the suburbs. And we just literally all work from our places and start yeah. making a record, you know, coming cool. out this month. But that was a product of, you know, like we were all locked down and we were like, how are we going to do this? And we just sent files and yeah. we made it work.
0: That's awesome. Another name that comes to mind, Life Garrett. Yeah. What were you doing with Life?
2: I got brought in to produce a couple of tracks for him years ago, maybe like 12, 13 years ago. And he's super sweet guy. Sing great. You know, Leif is very old school. He comes from that old school where they have, people have to, they they have to know how to sing in tune. They have to, they, they know that craft, you know, mm-hmm. which there, there is, that word doesn't even exist anymore. Sure. People edit it in Pro Tools. And Kids today don't embrace a, a craft. They don't know what that is. You yeah. know And Leif is like that man. He just knows how to sing in tune and sing in pitch. He's a great guy. He's, he's a rock and roller. You know? Yeah. He's had his share of problems, but you know, hey,
0: who hasn't, uh, right?
2: We uh, who hasn't, you know. Unfortunately, his yeah. have been you know uh, with the law and and in the press. But I love him. Every once in a while, I'll see him and we'll have a little chat. He lives out here in Topanga Canyon, but uh, yeah, I just had a blast. Produced a couple of, an, an EP for him.
0: What a huge sensation he was back in the day, yeah, right? I, and I remember it. and I remember it well. So talented, and some of the some of the covers that he did, like "The Wanderer" and "Put Your Head on My Shoulder," and and a lot of those songs are still <laughs> at 55 years old. Are still some of my favorite songs, and it, it and it sounds kind of cheesy, like. Really, you listen to the cute little heartthrob, you know, bubblegum? Go- Absolutely, I did, right? That was, that was my time. And yeah. 1978, 1979, when that stuff was just unbelievably popular, you know, those yeah. songs are still stuck in my mind. They were great songs to begin with, but he put a really nice spin on those songs. Oh, yeah. Surfing, surfing uh, USA by the Beach Boys totally. and things like that.
2: Totally. Timeless,
0: yep. man. Timeless yep. classic. How about your pal, Bill Shatner? Talk a little bit about Bill and what you've worked with Bill. I guess he just got back from outer space too, right? Yeah,
2: I, I texted him the other night. And on a, we usually go over to his and Liz, his wife Liz's house and watch Monday Night Football with him and his family and a bunch of their friends. And he always has some food, great food. And we always bet on the games. And it's always such a fun time. But then once COVID, you know, we stopped doing that. And so I usually will text him on a Monday night, and I'm like, "Who you got?" And you know, he'll text me back and say, oh, "I'm you know Broncos by something." Sure, sure. And so I have a laugh. But I texted him last Monday, and I said, "Now that you're back from space, are you in your bed watching Monday Night Football?" And he said, "I am." <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty strange thing to say, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Did he give you any feedback on on the trip, or um, what? What did he talk about there?
2: He just said he. You know, he's a, he's a very spiritual guy. He's a very. uh He's just, he's one of those guys that you could just sit down and talk about God and the universe. Yeah. And what does it all mean? And all this stuff. He's very into that. He loves exploring, you know, uh, talking about stuff like that. Sure. So for him to get to do that, it was very emotional for him. You know, he said yeah. it just really put things into perspective. You know, he's like looking back at the earth and you see how small it is. He's like, I just got so, so welled up with emotion of being able to do this and just looking at how small Earth is and thinking about how big the cosmos is, but how small we really are. We're just like little neutrons on an ant down there, you know? Uh, that it, it's just, it was an interesting perspective and
0: he said it was Absolutely. just overwhelming. I could, I could imagine it is something that, you know, guys like you and I, we don't think about cause uh, I, mean, I haven't ever been into space. I don't know if you have, I mean, short of an airplane ride somewhere, yeah. but
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, think about that, the, the number of you, people you can count on hands that have been in space. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a pretty slim number, pretty
0: uh, crazy. Yep. Now you're working with a a Golden Globe recipient right now. Yeah. Anne Margaret are you are you able to share a little are you able to share a little bit about what you're working on there with Ann?
2: Yeah, I think she's a three-time globe Golden Globe and she got nominated for an Oscar. She's won pretty much everything there is to win. Yeah. Um, I'm having a blast working with her. She's doing a record at eight years old and she sings incredible. She's absolutely amazing. And she's, she's wanted to do a lot of these songs from her whole career that have been really important to her. And and also songs that were just important to her personally that she loved. So it was kind of hard for them to pick the songs. Um, We've been tracking her songs out here in LA and the producer of the record is, is a guy who I do a lot of co-producing with his name's Juergen Engler. Uh, He's in, boston and he's just incredible and he's doing these amazing orchestral tracks that we're, we're singing to and it's just making it so much fun but wow. she's, she's a blast yeah and, you know she comes in and we hang out and she comes with her assistant and her assistant will be taking notes and do whatever we need to do and we make the first thing we do is make some tea and just kind of hang out you yep. know and just kind of i just wanted to get loose ice breakers so yep. yep and feel not not feel pressure because when she was making records, you know, back in, in her day, you know, it was the old studio system and you had a bunch of guys in coats and they're all going, come on, hurry up, time is money. Time is money, yeah. Yeah, and you're spending two, $3, stuffy dollars. Yeah, and yeah. orchestras, you're paying orchestras for right yeah. by the hour. And, I can see and that. It, She's just like, I've never, I've never done it like this. And she's like, I, I I almost have to kind of remind myself, just relax and breathe. And I'm like, exactly.
0: Yeah. What a stressful you know, way to work back in the day, you know, like with all the yeah, suits I mean, in the room and all that. And
2: yeah, well, the good thing is, is it kept people who shouldn't be making records away from making records, you know, and that's the problem. You're right. Tools has done is it allows a lot of people that don't need that really aren't aren't talented enough to be artists to be artists. Uh, and if you look at the charts, you know, you can prove Pretty much, you know, that pretty much proves itself. That saying, I don't want to sound like an old man saying, you know, back in my day and everything. But, you know, I finally understand the, the further I look back, you know, that now I listen to stuff like Sinatra and classical music. And I'm like, oh, this is stuff I just never I didn't get. But yeah. I get the further back we go how amazing music is and how much more rich and, and Sure. It was just like anything back in the day. People spent way much more time crafting things, yep. and painting, and oh, you know. Now it's just about hurry up, hurry, money, money, money. Yeah, you know, hurry, 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 and.
0: We start to slow down a little bit, you know. I, you, you know, I think the older I get, I, I take the time to listen to things that that I didn't listen to before. I find myself in my studio Saturday mornings, and purposely I will listen to stuff. Of course, I've heard of the bands, but I never paid them any attention in my 20s or 30s. You know, I I was never a huge Rolling Stones fan growing up, but I've grown to love the Stones and I play a lot of the Stone stuff in my shows these days. Right. So it's a new appreciation for stuff that you just never took the time to just just breathe and listen to.
2: Yeah, man, there's nothing better than having those aha moments when you get a little older. Absolutely. That point where you can receive it and you're like, whoa. Yeah,
0: yeah. So great work on the Poisoned record. I love that the covers are great. Uh, I love all the Poison covers that they did, especially oh, yeah. the song choices more than anything. Some of my favorite songs. But speaking, yeah, so. speaking of Anne Margaret, which you're, you're actively working with her, you're also working with, um, I was reading Clem Burke right are you are, are you current with him right now or
2: uh no he came over to play on a couple of records he had uh, a producer named danny b harvey uh from austin we were we do a lot of work together and danny produces stuff and he'll have either me play on it or if it's a guest he'll have him come in here and do it and clem was going to play on his record a uh, rockabilly band called the rock Cats uh and so he asked if clem could come in here and do it in my studio i said absolutely so he came in last week and we tracked that uh and a couple of songs he, he came in and he knocked out almost the whole record an after, <laughs> afternoon it was wow it was a really good uh a really good what what would you say a good uh It was one of those good moments of seeing, a really seeing a a seasoned pro come in and just like. When
0: you know what you're doing, you know what you're doing, right? Like, wow, that was
2: impressive. That was impressive.
0: Well, I guess for the listeners that don't have a clue who maybe Clem Burke is, he was the drummer for, uh, or is the drummer for Blondie. And uh, I guess also spent some time with the Ramones, um, the Eurythmics. Uh, I think Iggy Pop maybe comes to mind
2: and yeah, he, uh he plays drums sometimes for uh the romantics now okay we'll go out and do some do some tour dates with them he he's just one of those in demand uh you know drummers that'll that He's a sweet, nice guy, easy to get along with, and he's a great drummer, great ear. You know, you could put him in any situation; it'd be great.
0: Yeah, but you wouldn't you wouldn't call him a hired gun. I mean, he's stationary with with uh, with with Blondie, right? But what, yeah. is, is he considered a hired gun too? Like, well,
2: no, you know, I mean, he would be considered a hired gun if if say you know Iggy Pop hires him to go on tour with him. Mm. You know, he he hires a band to go out. I gotcha. But no, he's a Blondie band member. Yeah, okay. The, you know, original originally from way back, but yeah, I guess technically, you know, if any, if any of us go out with a, with an artist or a band, you know, we're being hired for them. You sure. Know, we're considered a hired gun. Gotcha.
0: Now along with producing and playing bass and rhythm guitar for LA guns, uh, you're, you're also very active in television and movie work. And I had, and I really had no idea that site about you know your your yeah. business, but there's been shows like what the uh, Family Guy, The Simpsons, oh, yeah. The Osbournes. Talk talk to the listeners a little bit about how that transition. And I remember you telling me earlier, you know, you turn the volume on the TV down and you play yeah. along with it, but. How does this work come about? And, you know, talk to us a little bit about that.
2: Well, you know, a lot of people will go to school to study scoring, and I never did that. Um, I just kind of, like I said earlier, would I would see a, a picture uh, on the TV or on a movie with the sound turned down, and I would just hear music in my head. You know, I would imagine what, what music would be playing right there. And so that's kind of how it started for me. And I did a couple of little films for, for people like student films and stuff like that, you know, coming up just to kind of get experience and learning. But I met a guy at a a wedding reception. I was seated right next to him and, we were talking and chatting and he asked me what I do. And I told him and he said what he did. And he said, well, I I think I might be able to help you get some songs of yours into TV and film, if that's something you might want to do. And I said, yeah. So that's kind of how it really started was, was I had a guy who was pitching my stuff and he was landing them in TV shows, Wow. you know, 20 years later and I've had my stuff in over a hundred different shows, 12 different commercials, about 13 movies, and the great thing about that kind of stuff is when it airs on TV, you know, you have a movie out, it airs on TV and on the movie channels. Well, hopefully if it's a successful movie, like I had a song in the born identity, the first Matt Damon movie, and that's, will be airing forever, you know, because that's always on TV. It's always on. So a successful movie will literally pay you the rest of your life, which is great.
0: Oh, that's some good. That's what are the, what do they call that? Mailbox money.
2: Yeah. Royalty checks are mailbox
0: yeah, money. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's yeah. awesome. So that's
2: what you want to do is, is hopefully rack up as, as many of those as possible. That way you get those really nice surprise checks and you're like, whoa, this is a nice uh, surprise.
0: Absolutely. Man. For us, um, you mentioned the word scoring. Yeah, I technically have, I mean, I kind of have an idea because we're on the subject. Yeah. So, so how, how does this come about? Is this Songs that you've already written and there's a movie and somebody finds... They listen to this song and say, "Oh, this would fit the movie, or is it the other way around where you watch something and then write a song based on what you've seen? Is it the cart before the horse or the horse before the cart?" Nope.
2: No, you're right on both of those it's the, it's both of those things. I've done a library of music which people shop companies will shop around and they will they'll say, "Oh, this song will feel fit great in this scene, and a lot of the usage that I get does like that. And then again, a lot of times I'll get a call from ESPN and I'll say, Hey, we need like three songs for this, these spots for this game. And it needs to be like this. And that's a fun, what I love to do it. And they'll send me, I'll watch the, and literally score the picture. So that's what scoring means is actually writing the picture. That's a little more challenging, obviously. And there's a lot of back and forth. You have to, you're literally in the service industry. You have to, you have to, serve your client and make them happy. Yep. And a lot of times by the time you get the so many revisions, it's not, it doesn't even feel like it's yours anymore. Yeah. So there's good and bad in both. And I love both of them, but you know, it, it can be a little exhausting because a lot of times the people you're talking with really don't know how to talk and, you know, speak the same musical language. Absolutely, and, and It can be hard to kind of decipher what they're talking about. Yep. So I've I've kind of found that what usually works best for me in a situation like that is I don't get too far down the road on a project without sharing it with them. I like to get about 20% there and then say, Hey, am I on the right track? Is this going in the right direction? And if they say, absolutely, then I'll start adding to it and send it to them to see what it sounds like tomorrow. Gotcha. Uh, I found that, that I kind of, you know, rolled the dice and came up losing uh, by trying to bite it, the whole project off and say, here it is. What do you think? And they're like, it's not what we want. And you're right. like, oh, I just did all that work for nothing. So you definitely kind of learn to do it in, in steps and phases.
0: You yeah. Know? I don't speak that language, but I'm going to try to speak the language to you. But if you take a, a show, like, I, because I think you had some involvement with, uh, like, Let's just use Gene Simmons Family Jewels, right? Yep. Is this, could this be something as simple as, and again, I may not be using the right terminology, but let's say a scene cuts from one to yep. another and there's a musical transition and it's a five or 10 second clip. Is this something, yep. this, is, this could be yep. your stuff, right? And yeah, it, it could, is it just, is it a longer song or is it literally something that you wrote for 15 seconds, right? It, and they just it, clipped it? it.
2: It could be anything Uh, for like, for example, that Gene Simmons show, there was a lot of little comedy song pieces that were in that. So we would literally get an assignment. and They would say, hey, we need some little comedy things, some funny little things to go from commercial to little to scene when Gene will look at the camera and do like a funny look, you know, so. It definitely was a little bit of that. Okay. Yeah. And then again, they would use some songs from my library where they just like some kind of rock song that, that worked for a scene. They would peruse through there. And I just had a song from uh, the, the WWE, this new wrestler named Trey Baxter. They picked his new theme song, and it's one of my songs. And I didn't even compose it for him. It was just a song I did for like high energy TV, you know, for like ESPN, uh, okay. action sports and stuff. But it, it really turned out great. And they ended up hearing it and they go, we want that to be his song. So I got to be his, you know, his theme song just by, you know, happening to be at the right place at the right time, you know?
0: So, so how, how does that how does that even come about? Like, let's let's just say, for example, I write something like that here in my studio. Is it really just knowing the, how to market that and to which people? To market that? Or is this, is there like this repository <laughs> in the sky where, where these, these movie and TV people go and just. Pick what they want. Say, "Oh, I like that one." Oh, and it just happens to be Adam Hamilton stuff. Or how, do, how does that work? Is it really just knowing somebody in the industry? Yeah. Okay. It's like anything. Got you
2: got to you got to know somebody, yeah. and you got to have an agent to get you in the game ah, and, and represent you, and, and you know, makes sense. if you pointed in the right direction and bringing gigs to you, and and um, but yeah, it, it is a, a lot of that is you know putting together a music library, but at the same time. You know, you could sit there and write a bunch of songs and they might not get used in anything because they're just not right for, you know, there's a very specific format, you know, and there's a very specific way that you score things. And, you know, you really have to know what you're doing. Otherwise, you're kind of doing a lot of work in vain, you know, Yeah, might never get used and it might never be in that right format. Um, But, yeah, sometimes they'll use songs of mine and they'll use 10 seconds of it, a 10 second snippet. Sometimes they'll use the whole thing. Sometimes they'll even loop it twice. Uh,
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, I had no idea. This is cool because I had no idea how prolific you are in all of the, all of the catalog of stuff that you've, you've written and done. And I'm sure it consumes on a, like in a day in the life of Adam Hamilton, is there, is there time that you set aside during the day to do things like that? Or is it just random when you feel like it's it's probably random random. right yeah
2: yeah it's random you know there it's like anything it usually when it rains it pours and i'll have a lot of projects (laughs) going at once and i'll have to really try to juggle and uh balance things so i can make sure and but a lot of things i have to do are deadlines for tv and film so i i really have to work under those deadlines okay and that that's not my favorite because i don't like working under pressure stress sometimes yeah. you got to you know sometimes yep. you got a deadline a record deadline a release date or a or a tv deadline and you got to get it right i prefer a more laid back and you know writing music in the more organic way Yeah, you know at
0: adam's pace job. right yeah
2: yeah that's my job so there you i go. have to uh you know, there, there'll be weeks where, you know, I may have one project going on and it's nice and, you know, laid back and it's not real stressful, but then I know, okay, it's probably going to get
0: crazy again. The calm before the storm.
2: Yeah. You just have to appreciate when it's, you know, I can spend more time with the family and do some things I want to do around the house and and take care of some business. Um, So, you know, it's just, it's just balance, man. Yeah.
0: I hear you. Jumping back over real quick to L.A. Guns, how did that gig come about for you? How did you get? How did you get roped into L.A. Guns?
2: My friend, his name was Muddy. He was the bass player at one point, Mark Dutton. Muddy Stardust is his name, and Muddy's a great producer. He was in a band called Burning Tree years ago in the '90s uh, with Mark Ford from the uh, Black Crows, and Muddy was was uh engineering some record i was working on and he and i hit it off and we just became friends and i've always stayed in touch and worked with each other since then and muddy had done a, a couple of years with l.a guns and then he had started a band with uh gilby clark
0: mm-hmm.
2: and slim jim phantom from the uh straight, straight Lats. Lats, yep. and he said hey I'm, I'm thinking about going to making this record i think i've got to bow out of l.a guns now because they're getting ready to go on tour would you want to go do the tour?" And I I didn't even really think about it long. I'm like, absolutely. It was perfect timing for me. I had just kind of come to the end of a band that I'd been in for years and things had kind of wound down and it was definitely time for, for us all to do something else. And so it just literally fell in my lap at the perfect time. And he called them up and he said, I, I got your bass player, um, my replacement. Don't look any further. And I think they wanted to, to see a few other people and they, they did, and then they didn't find the guy. So they finally called him back and said, "Okay, who's your guy?" And so he said, "Call Adam." And he called me, and I went down and played with him, and that, that was that.
0: Very and cool. Had a
2: gig that day.
0: And what years were you active with LA Guns?
2: Gosh, I can't even tell you. I, I, I would have to look at look online.
0: Wasn't it like a five did. or six year span or something like yeah, that? Does I, that sound I've been right?
2: There for like maybe six or seven years. Okay. The first time, and then I started producing and doing a lot of the TV stuff problem was was i was i was going out on tours with with those guys and i'd been out with them for years and and um i was just missing out of a lot of of tv and movie gigs that were r- really going to be big opportunities and i was having to turn them down because i was gone all the time and that was one of the reasons i just said it's i think it's time for me to maybe focus a little bit more on producing and composing and doing the tv thing and yep. and that was when my first um My first chapter with those guys uh, came to to an uh, end. But then I went back out and toured with them a few years ago in 2018. I did like a few months with them. We toured the U.S. and went over to Europe and did a European tour. And that was great fun. And I got to play rhythm guitar. And that was amazing. Loved every second of it. But I have a special needs daughter. And so we quickly found that it's just too hard for me being away from home you know one of the blessings of being yeah. able to work at my studio every day is i can be close to the family and i can you know help that village you know with that little girl
0: absolutely
2: uh, and, and being away for a month at a time that's tough it's too much too yep. much and we even have a have a nurse for her and it's still just too much for mom so, i could imagine uh, yeah, it's a full time. It's a full time job raising a kid. And then when you when you uh, when your kid has special needs, it's it's
0: it's even uh, tougher, right?
2: Oh, yeah. It's crazy. So uh, that, I, I, I realized that as much as I love the road life, it's just not it's just not a good fit for me right now. Yeah. And
0: that's a great segue. I wanted to segue into that. But before before we do. I wanted to ask you one more thing about another project that you might be working on uh do you have something going on right now with michael sweet of of striper or is that something you had going on with him or
2: that was a record that tracy and michael sweet did and it was called sun bomb and i i ended up playing drums for it and mixed the record for them and they put it out last year
0: was that a solo effort for him it wasn't striper right
2: it wasn't Striper. Okay. It was, okay. It was Michael and Tracy writing the song. Okay. And, and Michael singing, Tracy doing all the guitars and I did drums. Okay. But yeah, it was fun. It was a real metal record. Almost sounded like old school iron maiden metal. Very you know? cool. They, they really wanted to do something kind of different than they normally do. and They got to kind of be kids again. It was
0: yeah. Fun. Well, I, I, you know, I'm a longtime Striper fan from way back. And, and Michael is one of, I think probably one of the best vocalists in the business. Would oh. you agree?
2: Oh my gosh, he's, <laughs> he's unbelievable. Sick. And he's, and he just couldn't, you couldn't meet a nicer guy. Yeah. We, we were all sad because we were all, you know, when you're making a record, even though we're not all there, we were talking every day or we were texting every day. And toward the end of it, we were like, what are we going to do when we're done with this? I'm going to miss ta- texting with you guys every day. And yeah. <laughs> kind of a sad thing coming to the end of it, but. Michael's just, uh,
0: uh, he's incredible. Some man. people were I, just I, blessed I with that angelic voice and he's one of them for sure. Uh,
2: I, I can't say enough good things about him. Yeah. He's
0: amazing. Yeah. So yeah, you mentioned earlier special needs daughter and, and Emmy is her name, correct? Yep. And is it cerebral palsy? Do I have that correct? That's correct. And I was going to ask you if your, you know, if your line of work was conducive for you to be a good, you know, like I think there's some dads that they have this job where they have to get up, they go off for 10 hours a day, you know, with a commute and eight hours of work and then they have to commute home. I would have to think maybe your job is real conducive for you to be there and be in the moment if needed. Right. I, I understand that your wife probably says, Adam, go do your thing. I don't want to bother you, but you're always there. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What Um, a blessing that is
2: at my place. Uh, Mom is, is her primary caretaker and she's, she, you know, takes her to school and all her appointments and all that stuff. And that's when I, I do my work here, but uh, yeah, but I'm, it's just, you know, it takes definitely takes both of us and she, you know, she has a seizure disorder too. So, you know, we're always kind of on alert. She has seizures and, They can be kind of scary and, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty crazy. You know, we were coming back from Orange County this weekend and she had one in the car and we were like, Oh, uh, really? On the, on the, you know, four Oh five freeway. Come on. You couldn't have picked the worst place. God bless her little heart. And it's scary and it's scary for us and everything, but we've, you know, it's, it's that thing that, you know, you just, you just kind of, uh, human beings have an amazing ability to just kind of, uh, figure it out,
0: adapt, yeah. migrate or die. Right. It's kind of the, is kind of the, yeah. kind of like, the yeah. what are you going to do? You know? And, yeah.
2: and, you know, we couldn't do it without mom. She's, she's the key element in all this. Yep. You know, I always kid a lot, kid with her. And I say, you know, the, tr- the freight train's running down the tracks and I'm just literally hanging under the caboose for dear life <laughs> on the back, you know? Because,
0: but at least mom, you're still on the train, right?
2: Oh uh, yeah. Because my, you know her mom is amazing. She's on all sorts of advisory Commissions for special needs in the state of California. Wow, she's gotten appointed to all sorts of stuff. She's on the board of her school. She Amazing, an inclusive school. I mean, she's you know, when you say getting involved when when this happens to your child, that the definition of that is, is her. Huh? done. She's just you know it's given her purpose, yep. you know, well, given her purpose, she, purpose, so.
0: absolutely. Now, now she started a web, a web blog on Facebook that I believe anybody can follow it. I follow it. And oh, yeah. it, it, isn't it called, and correct me if I'm wrong, Emmy is a star. Is that correct? That's it. Okay.
1: That
0: is it. Yeah. yeah. So for the listeners out there that are interested in the, the journey, Emmy's journey and just, or maybe have special needs, family members of their own and and want to be in this support group. Emmy is a star on Facebook. Uh, I've read some of the blogs. I've seen the pictures. They touch me as a person because I have a wife. My wife, Terry takes care of special needs children every day at, at and in the school district that we're in. And I've always told her that, you know, God broke the mold when he made people like you because I couldn't do that. I'm the most compassionate guy in the world and have the biggest heart for the, the you know, the less fortunate, the special needs people, the underdog, right? But- I just don't know if I have the patience to do what she does. She has the patience of Job. Like she has the patience of a saint and you have to take your hat off to people like her and your wife, Dawn. Uh, and, And even you being the dad, you know, that even though she's the primary, so to speak, you're, you're still very involved in that. And,
2: Uh, Listen, it takes it takes you know a a real special person, and they're few and far between. And you know, Michael Sweet's wife does that too.
0: I had no idea that. Wow. Yeah. So we have that in common. Another thing in common, yeah. Very cool.
2: It's an exceptional woman. It's it's amazing to watch her work. Yeah.
0: Well, they they are amazing, and I wanted to give you the platform to talk about um, any charities that you might be involved in, as it relates to to Emmy or any, any charity for that matter, because I think you guys are possibly involved in some, is there any that you want to share with the listeners that, that well, I, uh,
2: I think, you know, anything involved with cerebral palsy is, is good with me because I know how it's fascinating. I just never knew how many people it really affected or really even what it was, you know, and the fact that it could affect any of us, you know, I mean, if we had one car wreck and suffered a brain injury we could have cerebral palsy too.
0: Absolutely. You know,
2: literally that easy. So I think any of that is, is great. You know, whatever charity, just, just find a charity, you yeah. give, man, Not we just got to try to love one another, love our brothers, yep. you know, love your neighbor. That's the key here.
0: Absolutely. Backstage pass. will make a donation to a charity uh, just based on this conversation. I'll do that post-show, but uh, you know, speaking of family, it's also my understanding that you might've just had a uh, speaking of Dawn, your wife had an anniversary, right?
2: Yeah, we just had 15 years. 15 this big past, ones. This past week, we got we got a rare night out by ourselves. It felt very strange.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's an oddity, right?
2: Oh, my God. It was like,
0: is this OK? Are we, are we is this illegal? Yeah, right. <laughs> were, were you looking over your shoulder all night? Like, I, yeah. why am I here? <laughs> it's just
2: it was great, but it was really weird.
0: Yep. <laughs> Terry and I are going on 33 years, and that's probably about 32 years longer than I thought she would put up with me. So I'm, I'm way ahead of the game at this point in time. So so, Adam, how do the listeners how would they find information about you? Do you have, you know, Facebook, Instagram, where are you at on social media that people can yeah. maybe see what you're doing?
2: I've got all that. You can find me at Adam Hamilton one. That's uh, Twitter, Adam Hamilton on Instagram and Facebook. I'm easy to find Yeah, you just okay. see my, my pick come up and, and, uh, None of those are locked. They're all like public. So yep. awesome. click on and see what's going on if you if you want. So
0: let's do, uh, if you have a couple of minutes left, let's uh, let's do a couple of quick fire questions. These will be fun, simple answers. If you want to elaborate on any of them, certainly feel free to do that. But uh, single answers are perfectly fine too. So are you a Beatles or a Stones guy?
2: God, that's a hard one. I, I, depends on the day.
0: Okay. Stones, what about?
2: Stones? These, stones lately.
0: Stones. Okay. Yeah, and that's uh, usually not the case. Most people are like Beatles, 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 Beatles. So it's it's,
2: I know know Ringo, but don't tell him I said
0: that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. How about uh, Neil Pert or Keith Moon?
2: Oh God, that's another man. It's apples and oranges. It depends on the day, you know. Uh, Neil Pert.
0: Okay. Summer or winter?
2: Uh, summer.
0: I was going to say. I mean, Southern California. You got to be a summer kind of guy, right? You don't get too many winners there, I don't think.
2: Winter is 80 degrees and flip flops.
0: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) TV or radio?
2: Um, I'm going to say, unfortunately, sadly, these days, TV. Okay. Listen to a lot more TV than radio. Yeah,
0: sure. Acoustic or electric drums?
2: Oh, acoustic.
0: Okay. Oh, boy. Do, do you feel like, oh, I, I mean, I guess uh, electric drums have their place, right?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, love, I love them. Love yeah. electric drums. Uh, and I used to have a set. I got rid of them because they were gathering dust, uh, like a lot of stuff I don't use anymore. But, yeah, they have their place. But, you know, it's just like. You just can't get the real thing from, but, but from the real thing,
0: I guess this would be a great time to ask this question because I've always wanted to get a, a kit for my studio. I can keep a simple four, four beat, right? I'm not yeah. a, I don't consider myself a drummer, but I always said it would be nice. To, I mean, I've got bass guitars and pianos and all that. I have everything but the drums, right? Did you
2: get you one of those. It's called, uh, it's by Gretsch, who okay. make the best drums. Charlie Watts played Gretch's old. Drum. Okay it's called a uh, Catalina kit, 800 bucks. No way. And you got to buy cymbals and stuff like that. Sure. Drums are 800 bucks. Best sounding kit I ever owned.
0: So from a space, I think for me, it's not really, I I would love to have an acoustic set myself because I I would probably agree that, You know, well, part of it, too, is learning to play them. I can put headphones on and not run Terry out of the house and get get pissed off at me.
2: Get a real Roland kit.
0: okay, Roland. That's that's the one that I've been looking at. But
2: absolutely the best. They got the best sounds of of all the other companies. They don't really sound close those rolling ones like they have real acoustic sounds in them so okay hitting them, you're like oh that's a real snare drum so okay great
0: yeah i think for me it's just it's space constraint more than anything right i can't have like yeah, a yeah, 20 piece acoustic set in out. here so okay i'll uh i'll heed your advice on that so i asked a uh, guy gelso from zebra this question and i didn't know at the time when i was coming up with the question if the question even made sense but he said no it makes perfect sense so he's validated the question for me that I'm going to ask favorite drum in the entire set.
2: I guess it would be the snare drum. Okay. Just, you can do everything with a snare drum. Okay. I mean, you know, you think about the, uh, the old Elvis days, you know, when they had the brushes and the snare drum, Yep. you don't even need anything else
0: that, that, you know? that served as kind of like you, you could use that as a ride, like a ride, you know, like you're doing everything on just the snare, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, you, snare drums, the heart of the heart of the kid.
0: Yeah. How about performing or producing for you, for you these days?
2: Without a doubt producing. I I love to perform, but something changed in me and I don't need to be out there hamming it up anymore. I I love being behind the camera now, you know, sort of, so to speak. It's
0: interesting that you say that I had an interview uh, with, with a guy named John Evans, who is a successful performer here and well all over but uh kind of a rockabilly roots guy and um he's produced some some number one records for guys like roger crager and you know some some local texas artists here but he said the same thing you know he loves playing he still loves playing live but he get he he said i think i get more enjoyment making other people sound their best like bringing that out of people and it's and it's kind of along the same lines. When people ask me, do you like to play your shows or do you like the podcast? And I said, you know, I really like just talking to people. I'm a people person. I love conversation and I love the stories behind the music. While I get great enjoyment out of delivering a song, I get just as much enjoyment talking to people like you and hearing your story. So it's interesting, uh, maybe." I wouldn't say it's an age thing, but, you know, I think that if you would have asked me the same question or maybe even yourself or John, you know, 25, 30 years ago, you'd say, oh, no, man, the stage is where it's at. You know, it's kind of a mindset. Absolutely. Yep. How about early bird or night owl? I
2: I guess that's tough. I am an early bird these days just out of uh, my little girl gets up early, Mm -hmm. but I used to be a night owl. So. I like going to bed at eight o'clock.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm with if, you there.
2: Up, if I could go to bed at eight and get up at every, every day at eight, I'd be the happiest man alive.
0: Right. That ain't going to happen. You, you, you notice I was sitting here drinking my coffee for this interview because I'm up way past my bedtime right now. There you
2: go, man.
0: How about favorite LA Guns song to play live or LA Guns song in general? Uh, what did you have a favorite that stuck out in your mind when you were doing your stint with LA Guns?
2: I loved uh, and still love Over the Edge. I think that is one of my favorite songs. I love uh, Wheels of Fire. That was another one that we just, God, just loved to play. So many of them. I mean, there really wasn't a song in the whole set or the whole catalog that we would do that I would be like, oh, we got to do this again. I just loved playing the the catalog of music band. It was just a pleasure. It was so much fun every night. Would you say
0: you're formally trained On the drums and guitar, or are you just a play by ear kind of guy?
2: I'm 80% play by ear and I took a few lessons. So that's, we'll we'll call that the 20%, (laughs) but I wouldn't say formally in in, in anything. Yeah.
0: Okay. And sometimes that's the greatest. It just comes out organically, you know, and you, yeah. You know, sometimes those are the best players. You don't have to be classically trained on anything to be good. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Uh, through Adam Hamilton's eyes, greatest drummer of all time.
2: God, that's a hard one. I mean, my favorite rock and roll drummer of all time is is probably uh, John Bonham. But uh, greatest drummer of all time. That's hard to say, man, because everybody's so great for what they do. Sure.
0: But um, the, the questions are sometimes a little hypothetical, like the, the answers yeah. could go either way. It's just kind of more conversation yeah. than anything, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think John, Pro- John Bonham and Neil Peart and, you know, so many great ones, so many great rock drummers. I mean, you know, then again, Charlie Watts, nobody, you know, I, I love Steve Jordan, but I listen to him playing with the stuns now and I'm just like, man, it doesn't have that that Charlie magic, yeah. you know?
0: Were you ever a Buddy Rich guy?
2: Oh he's one of my kid, one of, one of the the foundations of my drumming. Okay.
0: Yeah. What about in in your eyes, is there, is there a greatest bass player of all time? You know, you're a bass player too. I didn't know if you had one that stuck out in your mind as maybe an influence that somebody that, you know, like, like for me, when I bought my first bass guitar, the guy that drove me to even want to pick up a bass guitar was Nikki Six. I just thought it was cool. I thought he was cool. Right. So I didn't know if there was some, a bass player for you that kind of said, man, I got to go out and get the the bass guitar. That's a sexy instrument you know
2: so so many of them man so many of them uh, i wouldn't even know where to start but yeah man absolutely all those guys are cool
0: i was going to ask you about uh drum manufacturer of choice but i think you mentioned that earlier Gretsch, yeah. right and they yeah, make a great guitar them. as well great musical uh-huh. company
2: i love them yeah and uh I mean, I have all the Fenders and, and Les Pauls and all that stuff, but what I've been playing lately is I got, I got a, a Schecter guitar, and it was one of those Pete Townsend guitars, the Pete Townsend Tellies, and I fell in love with it. Uh, I saw Pete Townsend playing in a video in the 80s, and then I got another Schecter, like Les Paul Jr., and that's all I play now. Everything I do, like records and TV and all that stuff, those are my go-to, wow. my main two. I, the Les Pauls gathering dust over there.
0: I had somebody recommend that brand not too long yeah. ago to my son, who's a, who's a phenomenal player himself. Yeah. You know, if you didn't want a, a telly or a strat, you know, the, the, yeah. the, the, you know, that brand is certainly one you should look at. About
2: half, half as half, much and they yeah. stay in tune better and sound just good. I, <laughs> yep. I mean, like I, when I weigh it out, I'm like, well, there's no, there's just no, you know, no choice. Yep.
0: So, and the last question I had for you, is there a kind of a number one influential musician or band in your mind that's just kind of been it for you over the years?
2: You know, there's been there's been a few. I mean, you know, when I was a kid, you know, I had that kiss. Everybody loved kiss when I was a kid, so that was huge. Sure. And then I got into Van Halen, and that was still huge. And then I got into Rush, and that was huge. And then later on, I got into U2. I thought they were like pretty huge a pretty huge inspiring there's just been so many you know there's yeah. been so many that uh i just i just love so many different types of music
0: uh, it's tough to answer that question you know when there's yeah. so many influences out there right yeah,
2: it really is such a hard hard and then you know and then i get off onto the alternative stuff for me and my wife like that's what she loves that we love the cure and the cult and uh, new order and yeah. uh, all that, the Smiths and all that. Okay. And it's just like, Oh man, you know, all fall. That's all we listen to. Yeah. You know? Sure. So it's just, there's just so much great music out there. If there, if there was never a new song, it wouldn't matter.
0: Exactly. Would there's plenty of it. good old stuff, right? <laughs> uh, we
2: will never be able to even scratch the surface no. of discovering it all.
0: Absolutely not. So Adam, thanks again for joining the show. I wish you uh continued success with, with the TV, the, the music and, and the production and producing endeavors, uh, thanks for the time. It's been a, a nice chat for sure. You too, brother. Thank you. And uh, I ask the listeners to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Also, make sure to follow Adam on social media. And don't forget Emmy is a star there if you guys care to follow the blog of, of Adam's daughter. As always, you can find the show on Facebook at Backstage Pass Radio Podcast, on Instagram at Backstage Pass Radio, Twitter at Backstage Pass PC, and on the website at BackstagePassRadio.com. You guys make sure to take care of yourselves and each other, and we'll see you right back here on Backstage Pass Radio.
1: Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Backstage Pass Radio. Make sure to follow Randy on Facebook and Instagram at Randy Halsey Music and on Twitter at R Halsey Music. Also, make sure to like, subscribe, and turn on alerts for upcoming podcasts. If you enjoyed the podcast, make sure to share the link with a friend and tell them Backstage Pass Radio is the best show on the web for everything music. We'll see you next time right here on Backstage Pass Radio.